And welcome back to another episode of the Bash Mania podcast. I am your host, Justin Bash. And as usual, as is the trend lately, we have another 2020 Olympic hopeful on the show today. But this two-time NCAA All-American isn't just an Olympic hopeful. He's also a WWE hopeful. And if you're an avid listener of this show, you know I'm a WWE fan and I grew up just obsessed with pro wrestling and such a big fan of it. So I'm super pumped to have Jacob on the show today. And I'm excited to talk about his potential run at an Olympic championship and his run at potentially in the future a WWE championship. So I don't want to waste much time. Your time is precious. And I thank you so much for tuning into today's show. If you like this episode, if you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen. Be sure to leave the podcast a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do want to support the show, you can get apparel, stickers, hats, magnets, t-shirts, all that at shop.bashmania.com. Real quick, before we do dive into the show too, I want to give a quick shout out and a thank you to Tony Rotundo. Tony is one of the absolute best photographers in the sport, and if you follow Bash mania on instagram or twitter or facebook you likely see his images when we announce a new episode or when we're talking about some of the guys so just a huge shout out to tony rotundo his website wrestlersarewarriors.com is absolutely fantastic if you need a photo of any of the guys or any of the women or whoever his website has arguably the greatest archive in the sport of photos so thank you tony for doing what you're doing keep doing it with that said, let's dive into the show today with ACC champion and two-time NCAA All-American from Duke, Jacob Casper. It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashomania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. All right. We got Jacob Casper here, and I'm pumped. And I know I say that a lot in this show, but I'm pumped for this episode because I grew up like a diehard WWE fan. So I got my, I started my marketing company years after I started pro wrestling news websites. So back in like 1999, 2000, I was creating pro wrestling news websites with friends. And literally during high school, I was going, skipping class, going to the library and updating with like news and rumors. Oh my gosh. So and so caught at the airport. Like they're going to be on Raw tonight. So I, I've been a huge fan of that. And, and your interest spikes because I'm always surprised when more guys come on the show and they didn't grow up WWE fans. Like, Burrow says it. Like, look at I was a fan of Macho Man Randy Savage and all the Ultimate Warrior and those guys. So I'm curious, is that what got you started in the folk style and freestyle wrestling scene? So, yeah, like you said, I, I definitely was a lifelong fan. As long yep. as I can remember, I have been a diehard fan. Um, you know, it's funny. Your, your fandom goes through waves. And we actually just had a really detailed conversation, a large group of senior level guys down in Cuba. We talked pro wrestling <laughs> almost the entire weekend. But actually, no, my, my dad was a uh, junior high wrestling coach. He wrestled uh, folk style um, at the high school, junior high and grade school level and then coached it um, after serving in the military. So okay. he was coaching junior high when we were born at a young age. And um, 
you know, my mom had three of us within six years. So to get us out of the house, he would take us to the wrestling room to give her a break some of the time. So I was sleeping on the mats as early as six weeks old. And, you know, over time, as you get older in that wrestling room, I'm sure we tried to imitate what some of his guys were doing and trying yeah. to imitate some of the techniques. And I think we just started wrestling almost second nature. It wasn't like he wanted us to be in there drilling all the time sure. when we were young, but and how old were you? And that's how I got started. And did you were you watching like WWE? Like what year was it when you started watching WWE? I honestly cannot remember a time that we weren't watching WWE. Like that's how <laughs> young we started out. You know, we always joke with my parents. I can't believe you must have been the worst mom and dad ever to let us watch. You know, Undertaker throw mankind <laughs> off of a, a steel cage and yep. everything else. But I. My brothers and I, we have no recollection of a time in our lives without professional wrestling. And that's what happened for me. Like, I was no good, and I say it on this podcast all the time, I was no good at wrestling, but I wrestled two years JV, four years, or like six years middle school JV varsity, whatever the breakup was. But I loved doing it because, like, the Monday Night Wars, I was obsessed with. Like, you're just going from Nitro to Raw, Nitro to Raw. And then understanding that they were different, but the same mechanics. Like, it's different between watching somebody hit a sharpshooter or a powerbomb and getting a double leg takedown. Like, it's a different world, but it was so fun. Did you, did you find that early on you were trying to imitate WWE more? Or was it a thing where because you were, you were on the mat so young, you just kind of enjoyed them, you know, together? You know, it's kind of like a, a blurry thing because at the time, um, be, before you become more keen to it, you believe that that is, you know, the highest level of wrestling. Totally. You think that that's the natural progression. By the way, I still kind of think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, likewise, obviously, that's what I'm still aspiring to do. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, as far as I can remember, it was like, I mean, it was just like something you aspired to do. So my brothers yeah. and I, we would go to wrestling practice and we would practice amateur style wrestling. And then we would practice some professional style wrestling at the end. And then we would come home <laughs> and it just never stopped. You tried to imitate what you saw, just like we tried to imitate my dad's junior high wrestlers in the room. We tried to imitate what we saw on TV. And, you know, sometimes my mom would yell at us for it, slamming each other onto the couch or trying to put, us each, put each other through the kitchen table. But uh, <laughs> we were still going to give it a shot anyway. And when did you realize, like, I ask everybody this question because I'm always so curious, but when did you realize you were good? Like, when did you start realizing, like, okay, whether it's WWE or Olympic and NCAA gold, like, I want to be the best folk style, freestyle wrestler. Like, when did you realize, like, okay, I'm pretty good at this wrestling thing. I'm not just a fan to where there's a lot of, I don't know what the breakup is, but I feel like there's a good amount of WWE talent that... You know, you look at guys like Kevin Owens, or you look at guys who have had really good careers, and they don't look athletic, super athletic that they are, but they don't look it. And you obviously looked the part. Like you're six foot, two forty. Like you, you fit the mold. When did you realize that you kind of okay? I have got the physique, I've got the talent, I've got the skill. Like, and for both folks, style freestyle and WWE. Like, when did you realize that you kind of? okay, this isn't just a dream. Like I obviously gave that dream up and started making websites, right? Like when did you realize you didn't have to give that dream up? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think anybody's ever really asked me that before. It's something I haven't put a lot of thought into. 
I, unlike so many guys on the senior level, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with Nathan Tomasello, a fellow Ohio guy this weekend. And we were talking and Dustin Schlater and I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm talking to two guys that won four high school state titles. And I was a guy that, you know, in junior high, I never made the junior high state tournament. My yep. brothers were much more successful than I, uh, I am. I have an older brother who made the junior high state tournament. I have a younger brother who made the junior high state tournament and I haven't, I never got to, um, in high school, I started, um, my freshman year on JV, I had a losing record. Um, and I just kept working. I, I don't know. A lot of things came really easy for me. I'm, I'm not going to downplay that. Um, sure. Especially in terms of school and learning yeah. and education. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I was very, very blessed. But for some reason, the sport of wrestling never did come easy. And because yeah. of that, I was drawn to it. I don't know if I ever have realized, hey, man, I'm actually pretty good at this. But I think there's a little bit of narcissism. I think there's a little bit of self-awareness um, in terms of knowing what I'm willing to sacrifice, how hard I'm willing to work. And um, I've always just felt like, man, I, at any given day, I can be the best guy at this. And it's happened at every single level. And it's, it's you know, an ongoing process. I remember slowly creeping up in high school and almost getting to that upper echelon. And then, you know, my time in high school ended. I went to college and I came back over fall break and was hanging out with my longtime girlfriend, uh, was in the car, actually. And I told her, like, man, I think I can actually wrestle at this Division One level. Like, I think I can right. be good. And, uh, you know, it's going to take a lot of work, but I think I can do it. And I remember her just telling me, like, then why are you talking about it? Get back, get to work and get it done. Yeah. And that's when I knew, you know, she was something special for somebody yeah. to have such a similar mindset. And that's kind of just always been the mentality. I don't think I've ever realized, hey, uh, you know, I belong here or I'm good enough or anything like that. It's like, yeah. man, I just always want to prove it. I want to prove it to myself. I want to prove uh, my beliefs right. I want to prove my parents' beliefs. I want to prove other people wrong that sure. don't think I can, but I've, I've never really come to the realization, um, athletically at any level that, Hey, I belong here. It's kind of, I've always had a chip on my shoulder and I carry that with me. I was five foot four, 119 pounds entering high school. Um, I graduated high school at probably six foot one, 175 pounds. Um, now I'm, you know, six foot three, 230 pounds. And I think I got a real shot at this now. You know, I, I was fortunate with the growing and everything. But, sure. yeah, there was never a, a moment that uh, caused that. Well, and, and I'm sure, too, like, now, did I know that Duke doesn't have scholarships. Did they still recruit you? Yes, sir. So um, I actually had a couple high school teammates, in, including Brandon Gambucci. Brandon Gambucci was the first guy from my high school to go to Duke University. Okay. He was actually our 125 pounder my freshman year, which is yep. the weight that I was wrestling. And then he dropped to 119 and he it's bumped. hilarious to picture um, you as a 125 pounder now. <laughs> very, very different. That's absolutely for sure. But he, he was a senior and then he went to Duke and uh, would come back in the summers and work with us. After him, Jake Faust and Calvin Campbell both came to Duke. Um, and then I was the, the last in my grade to go to Duke. And then two years after me, actually, Brandon Lenard came to Duke. So we sent a whole contingent down here um, to Duke University. That's how I got and connected. But Coach Lanham, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, like, was that intimidating? And the fact, like, I never went to college. So for me, like, I went to a local community college, MCC, for, like, my, my original plan was go to MCC for two years and then go to Syracuse for journalism. And, like, three weeks into college, I'll never forget, I fell asleep in class. My professor walked over and banged on the desk and goes, like, you're paying to be here. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. So I'm like, all right, and I left. And I never looked back. And even then, there's still that, like, college looks intimidating. But Duke is like, you. I don't care if you know nothing about college or education. 
in America, you know Duke. Like it's a, it's a brand, right? Like Duke's a brand. Was it right. intimidating going to Duke, especially when you're young and saying, "I if at, if at that point I feel like that's when I would have realized I'm good." Like, okay, I'm going to Duke. I'm going to a D1 school to wrestle. Was that intimidating at that point? Yeah, it really was. You know, um, to be honest, I just feel like I'm so much like everybody else in America. It's crazy. Like, yeah. I, I relate so much to that. I'm from a very blue-collar situation. You know, my uncle's a pipeliner. My other uncle welds. You know, uh, yeah. that's just what we're from. My, my grandpa's an electrician. My grandpa worked in the steel mill. Like, that's what we're from. That's all we know. And uh, my parents did go to uh, local college, like community college type stuff, yeah. uh, local branches. But I was the first one really to leave, you know, kind of the, the local area and go away for school and to go away to a, a big university like Duke. And, yeah, I absolutely was very intimidated. And I had a really rough uh, adjustment period. But at the end of the day, I gave my word. And that's what my parents always stressed to us growing up that, you know, you might not have everything everybody else has, but you have two things that you can always keep. And it's your name and your word. And I gave my word to Coach Lanham that if he gave me the opportunity to wrestle D1 when nobody else wanted to, that I was going to do everything I could to be a national champ. And I was going to do whatever I could to, to live up to that end of the bargain. Unfortunately, I didn't. Um, but I was really, really intimidated, yes, to, to answer and, that question. And, and you say, like, you know, we haven't talked too much about adversity, and there's a couple things specifically I want to talk about. But – when you talk about that adjustment being hard, that's a common theme on this podcast as I talk to people about that transition, that jump from youth wrestling to high school to college to the senior level and how different every level is to adjust to and how hard it is. And everybody seems to to struggle with different components. When you go to Duke and you're at such a prestigious school and it was hard to adjust to, how did you find yourself overcoming that hurdle of saying, you know, I don't have time really to sit here and dwell or to focus on how hard this is. I just have to do it. Like, and, and I, I, because you're not in the WWE yet, I'd say the best promo you've ever cut was before the semis at NCAAs your senior year. And you were talking about like running on heart. And, you know, I rewatched that today. And I was thinking, like, man, there's so much to be said here about someone who there's humility and there's hard work attributed to why you're here. And, I, and I'm curious if that ties into, you know, the running on heart theme ties into how you adjusted to Duke. Like, what was that like to, to not? I'm sure there's so many people listening to this podcast who are adjusting, whether it's youth to high school or high school to college, like. You you kind of reached that pinnacle of you did adjust. You became an All-American. You became an ACC champion. You became all these things. How did you find it to adjust? It was hard. It, it was, um, man, it was hard. <laughs> Looking back, like, it's funny. You, you just take it day by day. Yeah. And you take it moment by moment and situation by situation. And when you look back at what you were able to accomplish in the long term, um, you're, you're really proud of it. But in the short term, right, you're just trying to get through the day. Yeah. And I remember my freshman year, um, true freshman year, I was in the lineup. I was starting. Um, I was struggling with some health things, and I was sitting down against the wall at yeah. before the beginning of a practice. And Andrew DeHart, another Ohio guy, was sitting on the wall next to me. And I just said, Andrew, man, does it ever get easier? Or is it just always this hard? And he said, to be yeah. honest, it's always this hard. He said, you just take it day by day. 
and you just try to be the best you can every single day. And over time, it gets a little easier then. And that's kind of how I looked at it. You know, when I met with sports psychologists, the thing that they really tried to stress to me because I'm, I'm a warrior, um, yeah. you know, I, I think about the future all the time. And they just said it's like like rock climbing. You can't be yeah. thinking about where your foot or hand's going in three or four moves. You've got to think about where can I put my hand or foot next to best position myself to climb a little bit higher. And that's how I try to address every single day right now. And that's how I try to, you know, move forward in life right yeah. now. But it, yeah, it was absolutely intimidating. Um, in terms of Duke, though, you know, I got here and we're, like you said, a program that doesn't have scholarships. Nobody else wanted me. And I had some stuff to prove, I felt like, rather than, man, I'm wrestling D1, I am good. It was more, right. all these other coaches didn't want me. Nobody else thought I could do this. Am I good enough? Can I prove to Coach Lanham that he was right? Can I prove to myself that everything that I thought about myself can sure. come true? Um, and like I said, I think a little bit of it, honestly, is like ego and narcissism that pushes sure. me a little bit like that. Yep. Because there's never been anything that I've come across that I'm like, man, I can't do. You know, I don't I've never really shared this, but sometimes I feel like my life's a movie and there's just no way that it's going to end in a, in a negative way. Yeah, I feel I like that, I am dude. like yep. <laughs> I feel like I'm like everybody else. I really do. But I just feel like I'm willing to keep taking risks and keep outworking everybody, waking up every single day and paving and pounding and just keep going until I'm going to have that breakthrough. And, you know, it didn't come at the high school level. I was third and fourth place. It didn't come at the college level. I was sixth and fourth place. And now I'm trying for this Olympic thing. And I'm sure, you know, 95 percent of people that don't know me, don't know my work ethic are sitting out there like, man, you've got Jaden Cox and Kyle Snyder in your weight. Sure. You have on top of it, Kyvin Gadsden, Mike Machiavello, Colin Moore with NCAA titles. And you couldn't even get an NCAA title. What are you doing? But that's the stuff that drives me. That's the yep. stuff that I love. Like, I want to go and prove to all those people that they were wrong. I want to prove to myself that I was right. And like I said, I've never had that coming to uh, coming to moment or like that epiphany, like, wow, I finally made it. I finally did it. There were small steps along the way, like at Southern Scuffle when I, I went on a little bit of a run there and people yep. started to know my name when I finally All-American for the first time or whatever. But there's never been that um, that one moment of justification, that one moment of, you know, pride. I never and it's hard for me to talk about, but I've never had that moment where I got to run over and hug my coaches in the corner. Sure. I, I didn't have that in high school. I didn't win a state title. I didn't yeah. have that in college. I won an ACC title, but it was all right, what's next? NCAAs, Southern yep. Scuffle title. What's next? We got duels in a week. I never got to hug yep. my coach. I never got to, you know, cry in my parents' arms. The closest thing was when I qualified for state as a junior, yep. and like junior in high school. And like that, that's the stuff that drives me. I got such a good support system. I have the best family and I want to do anything I can to make them proud. I want to be that guy that when life gets hard and they hit a financial hardship or, you know, they're not sure what to do next. I'm the person that they reach out to, and I'm yep. the one that's going to answer that problem. And that drives me every single day that I wake well, up. Well, and, and that's when I say that I think that the greatest promo you've cut was was that interview. It's because, like, the guy asked you, you know, what did you write to yourself when you lost to Snyder? You write yourself a letter, and the guy goes, what did you write in that letter? And you went on a promo. And it's not because it's it's not real. It's because you believe it, like... I, I come from a similar background to the degree of I was living out of my car. Everybody told me I was a loser. One of my absolute best friends 
um, still to this day, my best friend, his dad, like, goes, basically told him, like, what are you doing hanging out with this loser? And everything I did, like, I remember one time my friend dropped his wallet, and I picked it up, and something caught my eye. I was looking at it, and his dad looks at me like, ooh, are you, are you taking money out of his wallet? Like, I just had a bad, like, people looked at me like, you're not going to do anything. So everything I did, it was that level of, I'm going to prove you wrong. And you said, like, I'm going to prove this person wrong. I'm going to prove that person wrong. I'm going to prove this person wrong. And you've continued to be on that tear where it's funny. If you look at it from an outsider standpoint, it's almost like there's there's that story to be made of, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, you never know when you're doing something why why you don't win. And it wasn't sports related. It was different context of saying, you you did this and you didn't achieve your number one goal. You were it, to, to make the sports analogy, you were third, and you did something else, and you were third, and you never know right now why you didn't get that victory. But sometimes I think, like I've seen in my life, I don't get certain victories because that's not where God had me at that point. He wanted to keep me hungry. So all of a sudden, in five years, six years, seven years, I get a victory, and it's like that's why I got all those other, you know not victories. Like that's why I got those third place finishes. And it sounds like you're kind of set up for that right now where it's like, you know, I I know I kind of want to get into the story that I've, I heard you tell Ryan Holmes a little bit where you had Crohn's flare ups during NCAAs and you went from like, what was it like 230 to 204? Like if that's not adversity, I don't know what is. So I, I'm curious on your uh, on that story of dealing with Crohn's and losing weight. And then still, like you said, like I'm running on heart. And that's where that quote came from. But tell me a little bit about that and overcoming that, like what that was like. Yeah, it's it's man, it's just hard, right? Because like that, this is the exact same conversation Coach Lanham and I had this morning. There's been a lot in these last couple months of adversity that has come about and you start questioning, you, you know, you almost want to fall into the victim mentality at times of why is this happening sure. to me and what's, what's going on. And I ran across a uh, quote that I saw and I actually had saved it and I wanted to make an Instagram post with it. And what it said was, you know, I, I asked God, why do you keep taking me through troubled waters? And he said, because your en- enemies can't swim there. And that's I saw what that I not like. too long ago. I've seen that. I feel like that's what it is. And it's been at every level. You know, you you can point at the the NCAA specific situation. Um, When I went, yeah, I was I was basically 227 um, at ACC's. Two weeks later, I weighed in at the NCAA tournament a little over 210. And then I just kept being sick. Even after that, I got all the way down to 204 um, on a recruiting trip up to uh, UPenn and Princeton um, for RTC workouts. And I was all the way down to 204. And, you know, there was a lot of things like, man, you know, I thought, why, why is this happening? Why did I have a Crohn's flare up at the worst time? But I never really saw it like that, though. Every every bit of adversity that's come in my life, I've seen as a challenge almost. Like I said, it's like this this narcissistic thing where my life's like a movie. And I just keep thinking that I've got to keep persisting against this resistance until I beat it down, until I break it down. And I'm going to have that coming through moment that's a breakthrough and everybody's going to sit and look at him and be like, you know, that's that's a guy that never gave up. There are going to be kids that are going to say, man, I believe I can do it because that guy just never quit. 
you can't beat the guy that never quits. That's what I used to always tell Zach Feinsilver before he went out to wrestle when I got the opportunity to coach him for you. You just can't beat the guy that never quits. And that's what I felt like. There were so many matches even in my career that I went down 0-2 to start, sometimes 4-1, sometimes even more. But you know for seven minutes I was going to keep coming. And I don't think I ever lost a match because of lack of effort. I lost matches because of technique. Sure. I lost matches because of everything else. But I was never, ever going to leave even a little bit of effort. And I also was never going to lose because of lack of confidence. I knew what I put in before I went out there every single time. And I believed I was going to be able to win. And, like, that Crone situation, it was tough. But I felt like I have Kyle Snyder in my weight. I have Adam Kuhn in my weight. Two guys that these guys – everybody's pegging them as the guys, right? And like saying that I don't have a shot. And when I come out of nowhere and win this thing, I'm going to be an immortal because of it. Right. And you're going to tell your kids about it. And you look, Adam Kuhn ended up being silver that year. Um, and Greco and Kyle Snyder, I think was silver that year in freestyle, but it already accomplished so much. And like, I stand by that this year. I think it's the same exact thing. And maybe this will be the time, right? That I break through, but maybe it won't be, maybe it will be, uh, for a WWE championship five years sure. down the road at WrestleMania. But I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep persisting until I get to that point. Maybe the WWE will be a dead end. And maybe I go and I do, you know, acting. I'm in acting classes and public speaking right now. And maybe I have, you know, some blockbuster film and the red carpet will be that moment for me. Or maybe it's a startup idea that I've got plenty of. And maybe it takes off and my IPO is that moment for me. And I cash out. But yeah. there's going to be that moment. And it's going to happen. And I have full confidence in that because of how hard I work. I just don't know when it's going to be. And how do you not waver? Like, honestly, it feels like we're having this conversation the same exact time you gave that interview at NCAAs two years ago, and not an ounce of confidence has left you. You can tell that. Like, you you don't waver. And it's obviously easy during moments of recorded conversation or there, there there's there's a different level when you're on, right? When when you're having a conversation that's recorded and you're like, okay, I, I want to say this because this is what I really believe. But you can tell the confidence that you have. Like, how have you not wavered from that? How have you overcome that moment of saying, like, okay, I want to go prove my coach. Like, okay, he's, he's betting in me. He's allowing me to come to Duke. I want to be a national champ. Okay, I didn't reach that goal. And I remember, like, out of the dozens of episodes we've had so far, one of the moments that stuck out to me the most was Gilman telling me after he didn't win NCAAs, which was such a huge goal for him, he had to look himself in the mirror like the next day and say, you're never going to be a national champ. Now move on. And I go, wait, but but how did you do that? Because it's so easy to go back and when, when you know, I've, I've dealt with such adversity, some self-inflicted, some like, it's one of those things where like, really? Like it, it's that moment of like, why, why am I in this water? Right. And it's easy to look back and say, yeah, I lived in my car for a month. But back then, like I was sleeping in a parking lot of a 24 hour massage parlor trying to say, okay, I'm not suspicious here because this place is open 24 seven. Like that was a dark time, but it's, it's easy now to look back and say, oh, that was 14 years ago. And as you've continued to go on, I'm curious how you've managed to not waver in your confidence because one of the things I, I love about you is your confidence. And many people who come on this show are multiple-time NCAA champions, world champions, Olympic champions. And I think there's a lot to be said to look up to somebody who's who's accomplished all that 
if you're young and or even if you're an adult and you're saying this guy's a world champion, I want to take that same work ethic and mindset into business. What can I learn? But the average person, especially wrestling, like the 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 talent pool gets smaller. It's like a triangle or a pyramid as you get older. And there's almost a a delusion of if you don't have this success, if you don't become NCAA champion, you're not successful or you don't have talent or you don't have you don't have what it takes to do whatever. And you seem to have a good head on your shoulders in a proper perspective. Like, look, if it wasn't States, if it wasn't the NCAAs, it's going to be the WWE. And if it's not the WWE, it's going to be this. Like, how do you not waver from that confidence and not get distracted by having goals along the way that you don't hit or that kind of take you a different direction? Like, how do you maintain that, maintain that balance of being steady? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I'm sure, you know, like you said, with your own personal um, adversity that you've overcome and that you've, you know, you've become a success with, you, you'll see a lot of similar things. And so much of my story is unable to be answered in a, a couple minute question. Yeah. So I just like to give the highlights of it um, or the thing that first pops in my head. Yeah. And the, the first things that were popping in my head as you were talking is one, I've got a great support system. My parents raised me to believe that I can do anything that I want as long as I'm willing to put the time in. And I wholeheartedly still believe that every single day. I got two brothers that are great that support me wholeheartedly as well. I got aunts, uncles, grandparents. You know, I've got the best support system. My longtime girlfriend, um, that helps drive me. It helps, you know, pick me up when maybe I am feeling down. Like one of the hardest moments of my college career was um, after the NCAA semis my senior year. I had to walk up the, the steps in Cleveland, Ohio, close to where I lived. And I had to look my, you know, my parents and everybody in the face after not getting the job done. And I remember, um, you know, hugging my mom and just saying, like, I just wanted to win one time. Yep. I just I wanted to win a title one time. Yep. And like that was hard for me, you know. And yep. to this day, I kind of regret that because I put that on her when it was on me. Yep. And, uh, that's definitely one thing that, that keeps me going though. You know, I've got that support system that drives me. The next part of it's definitely the work ethic. When you wake up and you do what I do every single day, you have no choice, but to be, uh, confident because you know, nobody else can operate on the same level you operate on. Yep. I, I don't have any doubt that nobody else could overcome what I've overcome and show up every single day and work like I do. Nobody else was 10 and 13 as a freshman, was 15 and 16 as a freshman in college. All these other guys got state titles. All these other guys got all that other stuff. I got a hunger that's bigger than them. I'm more confident than that because of the work ethic that I put in. And maybe that breakthrough hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And then the last part of it is, you know, and this is the honest to God truth is like, the reason I'm confident and I know that I'm going to have that breakthrough is because I don't have another choice. There's no, there's nothing else, you know, I've got to do it. I've got to be that people, that person for everybody else. And that's what I feel like. Like I've got to be successful. So my kids have those opportunities so that my yeah. brother's kids can have those opportunities. So my parents will be taken care of. So that coach Lanham, coach whistle, all these people will be taken care of. Like those are my people they put on for me and they've created these opportunities and I'm going to 100% pay them back with everything I got. And like, that's where my confidence comes from. You know, the, the support system I have, 
the work ethic that I bring every single day. And at the end of the day, I don't have another option. So I'm going to make it happen no matter what it costs or what I have to sacrifice. And is there a process of like resetting? Like you talk about moments where, you know, you, you, you have to do something that that's so hard. Like I, I, I can relate on, on a certain level. Like, you know, I've only been married for five months and already the, the level of like, you know, I, I love failures in the sense of I know a year from now, two years from now, three years from now or three months from now. I know it's setting me up for something and I never know why, but I've had enough failure now to know that whatever success is bred from this failure, this failure means more to me arguably than, than the successes I've had. And you know, I, if I tell my wife or if I even think, man, I feel like a failure for this, for me, that's motivating in and of itself to wake up the next day. And it's it, it seems like you're the same way. Like you don't waver. Is there? Do you dwell at all, or is it that point of like, hey, at NCAA's, I had to walk up and and say this and do that, and then you have no time to waste. Like you get back on the horse the next day, and wrestling's one of those sports where it's like NCAA's is in March, and then the Olympic or, April, or or World Trials is anywhere between April and June. There's no time to sit there and dwell. But I feel like so many, especially at a younger age, get discouraged and they get hung up and they sit in the sidelines and they sit in the room and they dwell. And And I, I don't want to make light of it. Like, I've been there. It, it's not easy, especially if you don't have strong faith and strong confidence and a strong support system. Like, I've never really had a strong support system until I met my wife. And now it's like, man, I wish I had this the first 10 years of running my company. Like it puts everything into perspective. I'm curious what it's been that when you have those hard times and those dark moments, like what is it that you do right away to kind of get get going, whether it's dwelling for a day and then saying, okay, that's it. Like I feel like that's not an easy thing to do and success can be defined so many ways, but even just having that moment of walking up the steps and saying this and doing that and then getting right back to it. That's not easy for a lot of people. Like, even having that confidence, what is it that enables you to keep going the next day and the next day and the next day? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's honestly going to be a repeat of what I just said. So much of it, NCAA is my semi uh, semifinals. My NCAA is my senior year there. I remember I lost, and it's kind of a whirlwind after the match. I remember walking to the corner and wanting to apologize. Yeah. Um, when it kind of was starting to set in that it was going to be final, and I remember Coach Whistle like hugging me and kind of carrying me, not letting me collapse and telling me like, don't let him see you cry champ or whatever. Yeah. And we got in the back room and I was crying. I was having a really hard time with it and feeling bad for myself. And, you know, two minutes became five and five became 10 and 10 became 15. And yep. coach Lamb finally walks over. He's like enough. He's like, get yourself together. Let's go. And I didn't have a choice because my support system told me you got to go and do what's next. Now you don't have time to dwell on it. You don't have time to beat yourself up. You got stuff you got to do the next day. You got, you know, people you got to go see and talk to. And when I didn't want to do it for myself anymore, I had to do it because other people made me, uh, because other people believed in me. And that goes all the way down. My, my senior year of high school, I lost in the, the state semifinals. And, you know, I had a drill partner, Josh Laner. He said, hey, man, we got a shot, you and I only, on this team to finish top 10 in the state. I need you to run the backside. And – 
That's yeah. what I did for him. Like I went and ran the backside because he supported me and that's what the team needed. My, you know, freshman year of high school, the summer, I probably went 0 and 63 in the summer wrestling. And I just <laughs> kept showing up and I kept losing. Yeah. And my dad would not, he wasn't berating me. You know, he wanted to see me win and he was holding me, m- holding me true to that. But he saw the effort. He saw the desire, the want. And, you know, he made sure that I was able to wrestle everywhere. He made sure I was able to wrestle at Fargo. And uh, he drove all the way out there. And I ended up finally getting a win at Fargo that year. So I ended up ending the summer at, you know, if I was 0-63 heading into it, I was 1-67 that summer. And, like, he just was always, you know, on the ride back home. This is what you need to do. This is what I saw. You know, with my, my wrestling knowledge, this is what I'm noticing and you could do better. And that was it. You know, it was just always, okay, you got to show up the next day. And if, if you win it, you know, like I won scuffle, I remember this. And um, I just remember thinking, man, I can't let this stop. I yeah. finally have more of a platform. I finally have a little bit of success. This can't stop. And I went into this, you know, if there was a way, you know, I'm running in sixth gear all the time. But if there's a way to hit the NOS and throw it into the, the engine and really get another boost, <laughs> it did it for me. Yep. And I w- remember a Tuesday specific, I worked out five times, and that's not an exaggeration, <laughs> five times on a Tuesday. <laughs> that's and it was a team practice, was my fifth workout. I wrestled a match with Coach Whistle. The week before, I had beat him up really, really bad in a match. You know, I probably tech followed him or close. Yep. And then this Tuesday practice, I end up beating him like 3-2 or 3-1. And I remember just trying so hard um, in this fifth workout, but I just couldn't get going. I couldn't open up the match, and I knew he was going to be frustrated with me, or I thought he was going to be frustrated with me because I wasn't doing good enough and that I needed to keep being successful because I was loving it. And uh, he sat me down on the wall. He's like, what do you expect, man? You're running yourself like dead. You can't do five workouts a day. Like, it doesn't happen like that. And, like – I just remember like thinking he wasn't upset with me because I didn't beat him bad enough. He wasn't upset with me because of the lack of effort. He was upset with me because, you know, I was trying to work too much. I was trying to do too much. And like, that was something that resonated with me. There was the time that that group of people have been able to push me. And then there have been times they've been able to pull me back and they know me and they know what um, I need. And I, I'm a really good, I do a really good job of clearly communicating. That's one of the few things I think are, are one of my strong points in terms of being accountable and I, I'm not a guy that sugarcoats things when I tell other people stuff. I struggle with that, like yeah. with the, the politics and the workplace and everything. I'm going to tell you what I think, and I'm going to tell you it directly, sure. and that's what I respond to. And fortunately for me, I, I was raised around men and you know women that led me in life that, that raised me that way yeah. and that brought me up that way. So it, that made it a lot easier for me. But yeah, I mean – you know, like I said, I kind of just repeated what I, I previously had stated. No, that's, dude, they, that's the they, truth of it. They were totally different responses, which is kind of why I asked it two different ways, even though it was kind of the same question. And it's it's funny you mentioned like not resting enough because I had saw a couple months ago. I I'm somebody who I love working seven days a week. I just don't like disconnecting. Mondays are so much easier for me because I'm so passionate. I'm working Saturday and Sunday, so when Monday comes along, it's just another day. And I remember somebody, I can't remember who, but somebody probably from my church posted something along the lines of when you don't take a day to rest, you're basically in a way not trusting that God's doing enough and that you have to do more because you're trying to overcompensate. If I don't do this, nothing's going to happen. If I don't do this, this isn't going to happen. 
And it's funny to hear you mention like not resting enough and, and working out five times a day. And I feel like you hear that, especially at the youth level of kids that are just killing themselves. And the high school I went to, so many kids were so good and they didn't make it past high school because they cut weight too much. They worked out too much. Come the college time, they just they blew up in weight. They lost their motivation. And, you know, I know it's a constant theme of me asking, like, how didn't you give up? And and that's one of the reasons I keep positioning a different way is because I'm so curious because I feel like few people have that mindset of endurance. And that's really what it one of the things it seems you have is like you you've had success at every level. It might not have been the success you wanted, but I feel like many people could easily look at you like myself and say, I wish I was that good in high school to go to college. I wish I was that good in, in college to be at NCAAs, right? And when you hold that high when you have those high expectations for you, I can only imagine how hard it is. And I'm curious now, like when you have the balance or when you have to balance the goals of saying, okay, in a month and a half, we have the Olympic trials and you do have a field like that field is stupid between Bo, Jane and Kyle. Like you have that, you have that level of saying like, look at this isn't a goal of mine. That's easy to, to attain. And I, as a fan, I've seen the Frank Molinaros who are the nine seeds and the Jaden Cox who are the nine seeds. And it's like, dude, if you, anybody who's at the Olympic trials is good enough to win the trials. And I'm curious how you balance that goal with, with your other aspirations with you have such WWE aspirations, which I want to get into more in a minute, but how are you balancing those goals of just maintaining level-headed or maintaining a level-headed stance of saying, I'm going to put the effort in and what what happens, it's not that I don't care about, but I can accept. Like, how do you balance that w with having, because I, I, I know you enough to know you're all in for the Olympics and I know your WWE passions. Like, how do you balance those goals of having such high expectations, but managing that outcome and kind of managing your own expectations with what happens next? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there, there's so, like I said, so much that just goes into all of it. It's like, in terms of the rest and everything, I remember there was a quote, you know, I'd rather be um, sore than sorry. And there's the, you know, all the cliches of there's no such thing as overtraining, just under eating and under sleeping. Yeah. Like that stuff's all motivated me. Um, you know, my brother gave a great promo when we tried out for the WWE together, um, my older brother. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, um, motivation it's fleeting it's yep. crap it doesn't matter what matters is discipline and that's you know that's what you have to live is a disciplined life if people only do stuff when they feel motivated they're not going to get anything done and i'm i'm no better than anyone else like i said i literally feel like i am just the most average person in america sure. at the end of the day yeah but i've i've made myself live a very disciplined lifestyle to try to get the most out of every single moment and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take it day by day, moment by moment. What's going to best position me for success with this Olympic run? What's going to best position me for success with the WWE run, which would then put me in best position for the entrepreneurship that stuff yeah. that I want to do, and then the acting stuff, and then the platform to give back. And yeah. it's like it all kind of bleeds into each other, though, right? Like that's that's what's interesting about it. Um, if I am an Olympic champion, that's going to help with my platform going into the WWE. So right sure. now, what's best for me WWE-wise is accomplishing these Olympic goals. Yeah. 
And what's best for me WWE wise um, or acting wise will be to be a successful WWE guy. And what's best for me best entrepreneurial wise is to be able to be an actor and to rub elbows with all those people to get my ideas going and to have that network. And what's best with, you know, my long-term goal is to be able to give back and to support and provide and start an annual uh, animal rescue and own land and give opportunities to inner city kids who otherwise don't have the wrestling gear, the opportunities to go to camps and make a wish foundation wishes and special Olympics. That's what the end game is. And all this stuff is just propelling me towards that. I want to have an impact. You see what LeBron's been able to do with his platform and how many lives he's been able to impact. And like at the end of the day, I honestly believe that I was put on this earth to, to help others and to do good. And that's what drives me every day. Like I, that's been my dream as long as I can remember. I remember making a bucket list at like, like age seven or eight. And it was, you know, I would really like to create basically government housing for people that are homeless right now but to a better, <laughs> to a better quality. And that's just always been the way I've been. Like yeah. my mom used to always tell me like, Oh, you, you had the biggest heart of any kid that I ever met. And like, I believe that. And I believe that I can change this world. And maybe it's crazy. Maybe at the end of the, my di- like my life, I, I won't have accomplished anything that I've wanted to accomplish. Like you said, you know, I've had success at every level, but it hasn't been the success I've wanted. And I remember getting to college and I wrote down my goal. They asked us as a true freshman, what's your goals after they told me I wanted to start. And I said, I want to be a four time undefeated NCAA champ. Yeah. And coach Rowe called me and coach Will Rowe. And he said, you know, Hey man, we need to set realistic goals. And I was so offended. I was so offended by that. I'm like, who are you to tell me that that's not realistic for me? You don't know who I am. You don't know what I stand for. You don't know how hard I'm going to work. Like that is my goal. And that's what I'm going to live up to. Because if I set my goal for any less, then I don't have to hold myself to the most extreme standard. And that's not something I'm willing to do. So my goal right now is to be the Olympic champion. So when I wake up is dictated by that. What, What I eat, is dictated by that. What my supplements I take is dictated by that. How I work out, if I stay extra, who I'm, you know, interacting with. Um, you know, it gets down to the point where when I drive in the car over to NC State down to Raleigh every single day, I listen to audiobooks on 1.5 times speed right now to try to get every single advantage I can. I do the same I'm thinking, thing. <laughs> if, if, if like other people are listening to audiobooks right now, you know, and it's a real possibility that they are, they're yeah. also very motivated individuals. They're probably listening on, a, on one time speed, yeah. maybe 1.25 speed, but I'm on 1.5 and my goal is to get to two times speed. So I'm able to take in twice as much information and half yeah. the amount of time. And like, that's what I'm just striving for. I try to compete in all those aspects and I try to maximize my time. I get three workouts in every day. I'm in public speaking classes. I'm in full-time acting classes right now. And like, I think it's all going to help who I am as an athlete come uh, Olympic trials time. It gives me confidence going out there to compete. It's all going to help me when I make the transition over to the WWE. And it's going to ultimately help me uh, be successful in my end game, which is to be able to give back, provide, and impact as many people as possible. And, and speaking about the WWE transition, I'm so curious. So I know there was some buzz in like 2018. There was all these different media articles. ESPN did a piece. Everybody else kind of ran with it about, you know, I, I vaguely recall you reached out to Jerry Briscoe, who such a great guy. He was on this podcast and that was one of my favorite episodes. Like his stories are incredible. But so I remember you reached out to him and, then what happened? Like you went to the training center or something like, tell me like what happened, like what that journey has been like, man, it's, it's been a whirlwind. It's one of the coolest, like 
I can only imagine, life. dude. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a little bit optimistic too. And, and that's part of it. But like, one thing that I always stress when I run camps and clinics is never be afraid to be told no. Yeah. I reached out to so many colleges before any of them gave me the opportunity to wrestle. And, you know, Mr. Briscoe was tweeting during the Olympics in 2016, wrestled in the trials in April, moved down to Durham, um, moved in with my girlfriend to a new house. We had a TV on some crappy old dresser down in our basement, <laughs> and I was sitting on a $50 couch from Craigslist with uh, my roommate and one of my closest friends, Cole Baumgartner. And uh, we're watching the Olympics, and, man, I just remember thinking, like, I'm wrestling heavyweight this year, like, probably going to wrestle Kyle Snyder. I'm like, I can beat this guy. And, um, you know, I told him that and he supported me and what I believed I could do. And then on Twitter, keeping up, I like to interact during sporting events with other yep. people on Twitter. I, I do the fights all the time and I do a lot of duels and stuff, too. And I remember seeing a, a tweet pop up from Jerry Briscoe. And I think my, my buddy Rhino probably liked it. You know, Rhino's yeah. one of my closest friends. And it said something to the extent of I'm in Rio de Janeiro or whatever, looking for the next WWE superstar. Give me an idea of who to look out for. I just tweeted at him. I'm like, look, man, you're wasting your time. Like, I'm better looking. I'm bigger. I'm faster. I'm stronger than anybody you're looking for there. Like, I'm your guy. Jerry Briscoe had 35,000 followers. I remember watching him as a kid on TV, you know, with yep. the 24-7 the championship. The and Briscoe Brothers. The, the Briscoe Brothers body shop shirts. The yeah. body shop, right. I mean, they're, they're legends. He's a legend. The, the Montreal yep. screw job, and he was, like, yeah. intricately involved with that and, like, I mean, he's a legend. He's got 35,000 followers, you know. Dude, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I, what, I brought up the Montreal Screwjob on the podcast, and once the podcast was over, I ran to my wife in the room like, oh, my God, we talked about the Montreal Screwjob. And she's like, what's that? I'm like, you don't understand. I started YouTubing, like, videos trying to show it to her, like, wild. Oh, it's <laughs> awesome. You'll have to have her watch. Amazon did a, a really interesting series. It's called The Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. You have to pay for it. It's on Amazon yeah. Prime. But they've got a great like thirty or forty minute video on oh, the Montreal job. <laughs> oh, it's so good! I bought the whole thing. They talk about like, uh, like, uh, man, it's it's all that stuff though. It's got all the different, um, you know, Elizabeth and Macho Man and their relationship. Yep. That's one of the episodes, and it's really really good. But yeah, uh, Mister Briscoe's got like thirty five thousand followers. There's a chance he would never see that, sure. but there was a chance he was going to see it. So I just sent it out. I, I shot my shot, and sure enough, he follows me. He DMs me right away, and uh, he's like, hey, man, like if you're serious about it, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you this year. I'm like, I'm 100% serious about it. So <laughs> he started following you know, myself and Max Roshkoff and our careers after that point, yep. and we both had kind of breakout seasons uh, either that year or the next year and just kind of got spinning from there. And then you know, I, I think one of the things I owe a lot of success to, again, is not being afraid – to be told no um, around that same time after that year, um, the next year, I saw that the Jones-Cormier fight was announced and I was willing to, to reach out to Jamil Kelly and ask him for the opportunity to go and train with uh, Daniel Cormier. And Daniel Cormier got me broadcasted to a larger audience then. And, yep. you know, him and I connected and he's a great guy. He's helped me a ton and I owe a lot to, uh, to DC. So I definitely appreciate him. And that's helped. And between Mr. Briscoe and DC, I got in touch with Casey Joyner, um, Keith Joyner, who was previously at ESPN, and he's starting up his own fantasy football uh, spot now. You know, he's the scientist of fantasy football, so you guys will have to check him out if anybody needs any help out there. And his son has Crohn's disease as well, so I started helping his son out from time to time with some okay. of the issues he was having and just 
helping in that regard. And he's like, look, man, are you serious about this WWE thing? I was like, yeah. He's like, I want to do an article on it. So going into the NCAA tournament, my senior year, I had ESPN following me around during the NCAA tournament too. So cool. And it, it just seemed like a storybook ending. You know, it was in my home state ESPN's following me. I'm, you know, I'm David versus Goliath right now in this weight class. And I'm like, it's going to be that storybook ending that we were talking about, but it's, it's not God telling me, no, it's telling me not yet. And that's what I just keep seeing. So Maybe it wasn't meant to be, even though everything was set up at that point in time, but it's coming to fruition. And then um, after my senior year, you know, wasn't sure I wanted to compete anymore. I ended not healthy, needed to take a lot of time to get back to healthy. That Crohn's flare up took a lot out of me. I lost a lot of weight. I wasn't really able to be the same person. Uh, DC said he wanted to have me out there for training camp to get ready for Stipe. Um, I went out and lived with him and got a call about setting up the WWE tryout. And I was a little hesitant because I knew I wasn't what I was um, previously. I wasn't as yeah. big as I was. I wasn't as in quite a good a shape like that. Crohn's flare up took some time off of me and I kind of hesitated and it was a blessing in disguise because, uh, you know, I don't remember if it was Mr. Briscoe or Paul fair or who it was now, but they said, you know, Oh, uh, they mentioned your brother's a little bit charismatic. He met him at a duel. Uh, Mr. Briscoe met my brother's senior night duel is what it was at Duke. And um, my older brother talked to him and um, he's like, hey, he's pretty charismatic. Why doesn't he come down then with the tryout since you're a little hesitant? And I mean, everything wrestling related has been a family thing. We watched pro wrestling growing up and we pro wrestled each other and we had a wrestling mat in the basement. We wrestled against each other. And then, you know, growing up when you when you start going your separate ways, going to wrestling practices were the time that you spent with your brothers because you were in different grades. You were different sizes but you had to ride to practice together and your mom drove you to practice. And then eventually you started driving and your brothers rode together. And it was something that has always bonded our family. So he got to go down and try out with me and uh, they set the tryout date. I'm like, man, if my brother's going like, obviously I'm going to go. And right. um, he, he took it as an opportunity. He was, my older brother is somebody um, that, you know, I look up to a lot right now and I, I've never shared that with him and I probably should. I actually didn't <laughs> act in, I did an acting um, class exercise activity. I'm sorry. My acting coach would rip me apart if I called it an exercise. (laughs) It's an activity um, where you have to do something difficult. And I was writing him a letter to let him know I was proud of him. And I just started bawling like a baby uh, last (laughs) week, actually, writing writing this letter. But there's a point to this, I promise. I know I'm going on it. (laughs) No, it's all right. Um, But so he ends up, you know, he, he was somebody that was more naturally gifted than I was athletically. And you know, similarly gifted, um, intellectually or in the classroom. And he just didn't use it. You know, he, he went down some weird paths in high school and, you know, got caught up in some weird things. Um, was real into like the political uh, side of things. And, you know, for a while there studied like the communist manifesto and like would wear a hammer and sickle shirt to school. (laughs) And he had a Che Guevara shirt. And like, he was just like a bizarre dude. The dude got like a 29 on the ACT, um, but graduated high school with like a 2.6 GPA, which clearly he just wasn't trying. Then the right. teachers used to say like he would ace the test, but just not do his homework. Like what's right. up with this guy. And, uh, he kind of let that continue after he graduated. And, you know, he, he started working, um, kind of like low end jobs that I, I mean, absolute no disrespect to, but things that, you know, he could have been doing a lot better and sure. he could have been more importantly aspiring for more and he wasn't doing it. Yep. Instead, he was happy, you know, um, you know, I think he was, you know, basically like stocking a vending machine at one point. 
And, yep. you know, it was frustrating because he wasn't aspiring to do more with his life. And he had the talent to do more. And he wanted, you know, I think at the end of the day to do more. But he was a little bit afraid to, to jump in the water and said he wanted to tiptoe. Yep. But when I called him and he got this WWE tryout, I was so proud of him because he started flipping a switch. And he started at working out a little bit harder. And he felt like he had something to prove because I went out on that limb for him like so many people had done for me. And he got in good shape for it. And he, you know, yeah. he got ready and he prepared a good promo. And we got down there. I flew in from San Jose. I had the worst travel experience of my life um, traveling to the WWE tryout. I get to San Jose Airport. He's in Ohio. He's traveling from Ohio. I'm out with DC and San Jose. I get to the San Jose Airport. My flight's been delayed to one, which means then I'll miss my connection in Dallas. So I need to go to San Francisco Airport. They charter me up there. I sprint through the gate. I get all the way to my gate. They delay my flight in San Francisco to Dallas. So now I'm no longer connecting in Dallas. I'm now connecting in Charlotte. They delay oh me gosh. again. I'm going to miss my connection in Charlotte. It was just, it was whacked out. I get to Charlotte. They delayed that flight. So I ended up actually being able to catch it. I finally get in to Orlando that night. My brother gets in at like, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon. He gets his physical done. He's chilling at the hotel. I think he had like hibachi to eat. You know, he's got his food up. He's relaxing. Right. I get in. It's 4.30 in the morning by the time I get up to the hotel room. And I got to be up at six for my physical because I didn't get it done. So I get a rental car. I get there, whatever. I, I wake up, get ready. I'm like, man, like I've never drank a sip of alcohol in my life, but I feel like I'm hung over just from traveling and being <laughs> yep. dehydrated. I get it. I get to the, the arena. And they, they uh, or the performance center, I'm sorry, and they do a physical, and I almost fail because my heartbeat is so fast from not having slept. <laughs> They're like, man, are you worked up? Are you nervous right now? And I'm like, honestly, a little bit, yeah. But, you know, part of it is just I'm, I'm wrecked right now. They got me on the scale. I weighed like 216. I had been like 225 earlier that week. But, like, <laughs> yeah. the traveling, I was just dehydrated and stuff. It wasn't like I was an actual 216. And we, we got to try out. The first thing they had us do was promos. And we're cutting promos. And. They told us going into it, I don't know how much I'm really allowed to disclose, but I'm going to let it fly because that's what I do. Thank you. <laughs> and, thank uh, you. They, they tell us, like, if you haven't done a wrestling promo, if you don't have a character, don't cut what you think a wrestling promo is. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I understand that. And then the next part is you're not allowed to list any of your accolades or accomplishments. And it's like, man, what am I going to be able to do then to make this one-minute promo essentially – selling the company on why I'm their guy. Right. Um, what am I going to be able to do? I, I come out of my physical. I'm like the fifth person to go after my physical. I barely got to see any of them before me. And my, uh, I walk up there and I'm just like, my name's Jacob Casper. I'm a guy that my parents raised me to be. I've always tried to do the right thing. I've tried to look out for people. You know, I had losing records and, you know, I've persevered and, and persisted against all this resistance by doing the right things, never drinking, never smoking, going to bed early, waking up early, working hard. And I get done or whatever. And I'm like, I feel pretty confident with what I said. You sure. know, I articulated it well and sit down or whatever. I wore like some fancy shoes and a fancy outfit like I'm kind of <laughs> known for. And um, I go up to the coaches afterwards. I'm like, yeah, you know, what, what did you think or whatever? They're like, you're really bland. You are vanilla. What? And that's what they told me after this promo, including Mark Henry, who I like, you know, Mark Henry, the world's strongest man I look up to so much. Of course. And I'm like, man, I got to do something different than these next couple of days. I've got to set myself apart. And we start going and, you know, there's 60 people in there and I'm probably 
below average in terms of size. And like th- these dudes are just monsters, man. And I'm just like, how am I going to be able to set myself apart? But I just did the this, this stuff that I've always, you know, been raised and trained to do. And I just tried to, to persist and give my best effort and, you know, work the hardest and complain the least in the group and support people and do all the right things. And, you know, over time, that first day, everybody was running. Everybody was yeah. a thoroughbred horse on that first day. Um, but then the second day, you saw everybody lost a step. And I didn't lose a step. I was training with DC to be world heavyweight champion at the time. Right. And, like, I was ready for it. I was hungry. And the second day, you know, I started to separate. I felt like from the pack a little bit. You know, athletically, I started being able to open up a little bit more. And I kept asking for constructive criticism after every practice. It's something I've done, you know, and as an amateur wrestler, too. Hey, what do I need to work on? What do I need yeah. to work on? And nobody else was really doing that, I noticed. And, like, I just applied what had brought me relative success um, up into that point into my WWE tryout. And just kept going, kept persistent. And then, you know, it kind of all built, right? And the last day, um, everybody's, like, really starting to feel it. And they kind of look like fool's gold. And yeah. I'm just getting started. I'm just starting to break into who I am and what I can do. And there's this, this bag drill where you've got to start on one side. You run to the middle of the ring. You do a burpee, you flip direction 180, do a burpee on the other side of the heavy bag, run, bounce off the ropes, come back and do it again. And once you complete all the way down and back, that's one. Golly. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very tiring process. It's the last thing they do just to see how hard are you willing to push yourself on everything yeah. else. And I think they had noticed at this point that I was starting to separate myself. Instead of doing just a backward roll, I'd do a backward roll up to my feet and then I would pop right off my feet into a standing back flip. When I had to exit the ring, instead of stepping down through the second rope like everybody else, I just grabbed the top rope and just jumped straight over it all the way to the floor. Yeah. And, like, I was trying to do stuff to not be vanilla at this point sure. and try to stand yeah. up. And that last day, they noticed that I wasn't tired and that I wasn't going to quit. And they start putting cameras on me and putting some focus on me going into this drill. Yeah. And they're like, hey, it's time for, you know, whatever the drill they call it, the bag drill or whatever. And people had told me, uh, guys that had tried out previously or whose brothers were in the WWE at the tryout with us, they're like, that bag drill's no joke. It's short and it's intense, but it's no joke. Right. I'm like, all right, I'm ready for it. And I get in line, like, towards the front. Nobody really wants to go. I'm like, I want to get this going. Like, I want to just blow everybody away so that everybody after me is an afterthought. Right. I'm getting in line. And, you know, uh, Matt Bloom, who was Prince Albert, uh, says something like Casper, like, uh, you're at the back of the line. I want you to go last. And I'm like, uh, all right. So I go to the back of the line. They keep putting a camera in front of my face. They're like, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? And I just started going sort of similar to that, uh, semifinal promo. I kept saying like, you know, I'm not a quitter. You already know what's going to happen when I get out there. They, they were putting me in this really athletic guy who played football at, uh, university of Michigan against each other. And I said, he might be able to keep up with me for the first ring. But when we get to the second and the third ring, he'll fade, and I'm going to keep going. When when stuff gets hard, I keep going. I'm not yeah. afraid of deep water because I'm a shark. And not only sure. do I swim in, in deep water, when other people are trying to swim, I eat them up. And, like, that's what I believed. And uh, my older brother, it was cool because he got the finish. And it, what it wor- it's six rings, and as you rotate to the next, you rotate to the next, and somebody else comes into the new one. So we're getting up there, and I'm getting nervous. Spencer Myers, heavyweight for Maryland's going, and, like, He's wanting to go last to make an impact, and they instead made me last. And uh, he gets in the ring, so he finishes his first ring. You get a minute to do as much as you can. And I step in, and uh, Coach Bloom's like, Casper, wait. Ricardo, wait. I'm like, what do you mean, wait? And he makes Spencer Meyer go to his second ring and start, and then to the third ring and finish. 
and he gets all 60 people to walk over and watch us do this drill, start wow. to finish. Everybody in the arena. He wanted to see, you know, I think with the lights on, could I actually operate? Am I this vanilla guy, this bland right. guy? Or, you know, am I ice cream with a little bit of sprinkles on it at the very <laughs> <Right>. least? <laughs> and uh, it starts out, and I remember telling my older brother before it gets going, he's like, hey, do you need anything? I said, uh, when if you feel like I'm starting to slow down or feel sorry for myself, just tell me, you know, hey, mom didn't raise a quitter and keep going. It'll be over soon. Yeah. And like those are the things that I, I, I tell myself, just be, an, be a robot, just operate when I get tired in matches or in practices. And I remember him telling me that um, as I was doing the drill in the first ring, I think the record of all time is seven um, in the first ring. And I got six and a half in the first one out of everybody all time. Dang. And Ricardo got six. And I'm like, hey, this dude's competing. So Greg, my brother, is running with me. Hey, you got six. You got six and a half. I'm like, all right, let's get to the second ring. I jog into the second ring. They start us up. The, the record in the second ring was, I think, five and a half. There's a big drop off after people sure. sell out in that first ring for a minute. And I finish up, and they're like six and a half. I'm like, all right, I just beat the all-time record in the second ring. I almost tied it in the first one. I yeah. beat it in the second ring, and I'm headed to the third ring now. The all-time record in the third ring is like five. And I hop up in there, and um, I end up getting like seven in the last ring. Ricardo gets like two or three. <laughs> and he just breaks, and I get stronger on the last ring. Yeah. And like, I think the all-time record was whatever. I forget what it was. It was like 18, and I end up with 20. And I shattered the all-time like conditioning record or whatever. And they stick a camera in my face. You know, what were you thinking while you were out there? And, sure. you know, I just cut the promo that, you know, I was the honest to God truth. Like, I'm like everybody else. But while I was out there and what I was thinking is this is an opportunity to change your life. This is an opportunity to better, you know, the situation for my family. And I wasn't going to let three yeah. minutes of work in a ring stop me from getting that. Like, if I had to go out here and run until one of us dropped dead, I was going to do that. I was confident in what I was willing to sacrifice. And that was like the extent of the tryout. It was pretty tough, but, uh, that, and that was 2018. Was. That was 2018. So what, what happened between then and now? Like, how have you left with them? Like, I know you want to transition back to the WWE after the Olympic trials. Like what has that process been like? So eight weeks later, they said they would be in touch with us. Um, no sooner, no later. And I get a call while I'm at the post office shipping some wrestling shoes. I sold and it's Paul fair. He says, Jacob, you know, have you heard? I said, no, I didn't get the email. He said, um, you know, we would like to move forward in the hiring process with you. Wow. And I'm like, man, I was just blown away. And, I'd be crying. Uh, I'd fall down in the post office and just start crying. <laughs> I was, you know, it was a productive conversation. But unfortunately, that eight weeks was long enough that I had to find something to float myself in the meanwhile. Yeah. My student loan payment started up and uh, I was struggling. So I had just signed the contract to coach at Duke for a year. Okay. So I'm like, man, what do I do? So I explained to Mr. Fair, hey, I, I signed a contract. It expires in whatever month. You know, I, I want to move forward with this, but this is the situation. He's like, hey, I get it. Like, whatever. I'm like, okay, this will give me a year to get my, you know, acting skills, public speaking skills, maybe do some tumbling so my flips and everything are better, put some mass on, some size, and get ready to do this. Yeah. So uh, he, he, like, understands. I talked to Mr. Briscoe. I called DC. I, uh, Asked their opinion on it. I put my parents who had just recently separated on a, a collector, a, a dual call yeah. um, to be able to tell them. And, you know, they were really proud and happy. And I had to have that hard conversation with my older brother who sure. didn't unfortunately get that call. Um, and, you know, it was just like, man, so what's next? So I, I started getting ready. I started getting prepared. And um, as it rolled back around, 
I was told to tell people I was in, you know, productive talk moving forward and I was excited to do it. And as it got closer and closer, I'm like, you know, I'm ready to make the transition come March last year. I'm like 238. I'm big. I'm yeah. healthy. I feel great. Um, hadn't really had time to do the acting and uh, public speaking classes yet because I was pouring so much into coaching. Yeah. Um, cause I love these guys. I love this program so much. And, um, NCAs and ACCs roll around and our guys don't get what they want. You know, Matt Feinsilver was my guy. I, I hurt for him when he didn't get what he wanted at NCAAs. I remember sure. he had a screenshot on his, his phone was, his uh, background was that the NCAA champ at 174 pounds is going to be, and it was just blank. And, you know, I, I know what that feels like from having not got that goal yeah. um, or not achieved that goal. And I told him, I said, you know what you're missing? He said, no. I said, you had me in the room all year and you didn't wrestle with me. I said, watch the heat warm up this session after he got put out. The heat's out there wrestling with Chris Pendleton. Chris Pendleton's huge, 230 pounds wrestling with the heat. I was like, yeah. whatever excuse you had that I was too big or whatever, clearly it's not right. And he took it in stride. He understood what I meant. And I get back to campus and uh, we start wrestling. And he starts grabbing me for almost every workout. And I can just feel this guy getting better day by day. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's starting to push me a little bit and like, making me dig a little bit deeper in these workouts and starting to bring some of that dog back in me sure. that like that hadn't been there in a while. Cause I didn't work out with the guys really. I was doing my own thing, lifting twice a day. I would coach individual show technique, but I wasn't wrestling and he starts bringing this dog back in me. And then Caden Russell starts pushing me our 84 pounder. Who's red shirting right now. And I'm like, man, these are my guys. I got to be better for them. Yeah. And I start going down to NC state and I start wrestling with Nick and mock And I'm like, man, I missed how right this feels like. Towing the line is something that, yeah. you know, it's just second nature to me. I've done it for so long. So Mr. Fair calls and they send the contract over and I'm negotiating it and everything. And I finally get it to, to what I want and how I want it, um, for NXT contract developmental contract. And I'm like, man, I'm actually having a second, like thought about this now. I'm like, wow, this was my childhood dream, but so was being an Olympic champion. I grew up with a picture of Henry Cejudo framed by my bed, winning that title in 08. I had, you know, stapled up on the wall, uh, that the poster of Dan Gable and a poster of Kale Sanderson. And I'm like, I've got to give up my one childhood dream to do this. Or do I like, will they let me do this? And I call Mr. Fair and I'm like, look, you know, I want to be WWE champion and this is my goal, but so was being an Olympic champion. And, um, you know, I, I would like the opportunity to pursue it if it's possible. Like, I'm not stalling. I promise I will sign. I'll sign for half the money that I negotiated for. I'll sign the contract. Now you can have the rights for me for, you know, the next 50 years. I, I promise what I'm saying is as right. good as written and stone. But I want to give this 2020 thing a shot, even though I didn't wrestle for a year. And he said, um, I remember he said, you know, let me talk to some people. I'll call you back. He calls me back almost immediately. And he said, Jacob. This is the WWE, man, and this opportunity is like a great opportunity, but we would be remiss and we would be disappointed in the person we were getting if you didn't feel like you could accomplish those things. He's like, wow. we wholeheartedly support you and what you want to pursue. Uh, anything we can do for you, please let us know and we'll help. And like, let's talk once, you know, this this side of your, your this aspect of your life or this avenue is closed. And I just remember thinking like, man, I got more people that I got to prove right now. And I, sure. I got to work almost immediately and. You know, I was back down at the performance center a couple of weeks ago and everything's good. And, you know, I'll make that transition as soon as this year's over. And hopefully it's with an Olympic gold around my neck and I leave my shoes in the center and I walk off and almost do the Kurt Angle thing and get the transition yeah. to what's next. But that, that's that was the story of what happened for me and where I'm at with the WWE. I'm 
1000% going to do it. I gave my word I'm going to do it. And for those people that know me out there, that's better than written in stone. Um, and it's what's next for me. But right now I'm chasing the, the end of this childhood dream. I'm preparing to start the chase of the next one. And that's what's going on with me right now. That's awesome. So you've been at the training center since then. Like you've been developing more and more, which honestly probably only helps you. Like you're developing more and more before you even get that contract of saying, now I'm officially starting. Like you've developed yourself for an extra year. Like that's. Yeah, that's yes, sir. Wild. Yeah, it's, it's been awesome. You know, I have an uncle down in Tampa and he's let me stay with him and use his car to go up to the performance center and check it out. Been in constant touch with Chelsea Green and. Denzel Desjardins, and I was able to link up with Ronda Rousey at one point and pick their brains, Titus, Titus O'Neil. Um, right now, like I said, I'm in acting and public speaking classes. They said that was my weak point of the tryout, so I'm going to address those areas going into that uh, beforehand so that I can make this transition quick. I want to headline WrestleMania. I want to be the face of, of pro wrestling. You know, I want to be that guy that um, kind of stands, stands alone. Right now, we had a discussion, Jane Cox and I, at lunch down there in Cuba, you know, who do you have on your Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling? Yeah. Such a hard question to answer. And, you know, we were both Who did you pick? People. It's such a hard question. I don't know if I could give you a for sure answer. <laughs> I, I can tell you who he said. You know, he, he's got Edge on it. He's got Taker. He's got um, The Rock. And he's got – I can't remember who his fourth was. But, I, I, I mean, I debate with it in my head every single day. It's it's such a hard. You question. gotta go Undertaker. You gotta go Hogan. You gotta go The Rock. The fourth one is tough, but man, that yeah, I feel like Undertaker had the most iconic entrance of all time and the, one of the most insane careers of all time. You gotta go Undertaker. Hulk Hogan made the pro wrestling era what it is. The Rock, like he's the pinnacle of success. The fourth one, I guess you could have such a variety from some of these local towns. Or not local, but I, recent talents. There's just, like, so much variation, right? Because, like, I mean, so what I've been doing in addition to acting classes and public speaking is um, I've had a WWE Network su a subscription for a while now. Yeah. And I've just been studying, man. I just watch any and everything. Hours of it. I don't watch anything else right now. I'm just yeah. consuming myself with this and amateur wrestling so I can be ready for that next transition. I can have the leg up on the competition. And I watched the Bruno San Martino documentary and I've been watching all this stuff. And like, I was, you know, I just finished the ruthless aggression era. I was over uh, <laughs> seas in Cuba when that dropped. So I didn't get to watch part two with John Cena and everything. And I, uh, you know, I'm picking the brains of all these people that are big pro wrestling fans to try to develop my gimmick. And I've been watching so much of this stuff. There's so many people that are in my head right now in terms of Mount Rushmore, but that's the thing, right? You have four guys that four, five, ten guys that you can rotate up there. Oh, easily. You have an argument for it. And there's not one person right now that's head and shoulders above everyone else. And I want to be that guy. I want to go in there and I want to connect with people like nobody's ever connected. I want to um, solicit a reaction like nobody else has ever gotten, positive or negative. I want to beat Bill Goldberg's streak of who's next. I want to <laughs> yeah. beat Undertaker's streak at WrestleMania. I want to have the most titles. I want to have a, a title reign longer than Bruno San Martino. I want to unite the titles. I want, at the end of the day, for me to retire and people just be like, okay, yeah, obviously Jacob Casper's number one. Who do you have after that? Yeah. And, like, it's just no discussion. And that that's super motivating to me. Like, And I've totally. just been studying so much on it. Like, as, as far as my actual Mount Rushmore, man, it's hard, right? Because, like, 
I was thinking about this. So Stone Cold Steve Austin was almost the, the golden performer in that era. He yeah. single-handedly, they were talking he about He was that. the Attitude Era. Like, he was the Attitude Era. He beat WC- <laughs> He won the WCW Monday Night like Wars. Like, yeah. he, he basically beat WCW and Nitro. Like, he's the reason that, that WWE came out, WWF, WWE came out victorious at the time. Yeah. So, like, it's hard to not le- put him on there. But then you have The Rock, the greatest entertainer and the most charismatic on the mic. You have John Cena, who carried, like, the ruthless aggression area. You have yeah. Kurt Angle. You have Taker, who's had the duration of a career. Shawn Michaels, the best in-ring performer. Bill Goldberg. Triple H. Look at his career from the Triple variety H. of And it. he's transitioned to other things. Bruno San Martino and the title reigns that he had. Hulk Hogan, yeah. the impact that he had. And it's just like, man, it is really hard to put your, your hand yeah, on four of is. these guys. And, like, you know, I, I don't know if I could put it down to four guys. But I want to be the one guy that just stands yeah. head and shoulders above them and like, I don't have a problem saying that. Brock Lesnar and the impact he's had. Like, it's just been crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with the women, the impact they're making, like, there's a very real possibility of in the next couple of years, you've got to put one of the women up there yeah. with how much impact they've had. And, like, but, I, yeah, I hope to be, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. And I'm using my my small circle, the, the inner group that I trust to, to bounce gimmick ideas and angles and everything else off of right now and try to develop who I'm going to be and what I'm going to stand for and trying to perfect the vanilla areas of my game and <laughs> get ready to make that transition after I get Olympic gold, hopefully this summer. I love it, man. I, I want to keep talking to you about pro wrestling and all this in the next two hours. I know you have a commitment here in 20 minutes, so I'm trying to like not go into it for two hours, but we're going to have to do a part two of this. There's just too much right. to keep talking about. <laughs> I'm all for it. Like I said, when I'm doing something, I'm fully engaged in it. And you know, what starts at six can wait. If you want to keep going at this point, like I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying this. Not every day. Do I get to talk to people about pro wrestling? Like I said, fortunately on the trip down to Cuba, we uh, stayed in like Brett Farr and Sean Russell's room. They had the check scale and man, we stayed up to like 11 or 12 at night that night, just talking everything. And Sean Russell, you know, wasn't a diehard wrestling fan growing up, but his dad watched some and Nathan Tomasello yeah. was a similar way. CJ Bruck, he didn't really know anything about it. Bryce Meredith knew a little bit. Jaden and I knew a lot. Brett Farr knew a good amount. And like, we just talked pro wrestling forever. And it's like, it's something I'm passionate about right now, so it's easy for me to get going on. Dude, and obviously, it, you are too. Like. Yeah, there, there's so much. I mean, I literally had someone message me on Facebook the other day, and I thought it was like a scam or something. Some girl messaged me and says, hey, I doubt this is you, but is this you? And it's a link to an episode of SmackDown that I was at front row with my sign. This is Justin with an arrow pointing down. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I don't even want to know how you tracked me down <laughs> from like, I don't know if you went by the location of SmackDown being in Rochester or what it was, but the fact that you found Justin holding a sign and that was that was back in 2002 when Hogan returned as red and yellow Hogan oh, yeah. and he confronted Triple H. And I remember, like, after that match was, was, was some dead, I forgot what match it was. It was definitely a filler match. I remember sprinting to the concession stand, and after that match, they brought out the red and yellow Hulkamania shirts. I bought one. I ran back down. They're like, it was incredible, and it's like all of a sudden that one little sign picture somebody sent me, it turned into a three-hour bunny trail of just thoughts and discussions, and one of my absolute best friends, he was just the best man at my wedding, me and him met 
back in like 10th grade of high school connecting on pro wrestling and like he was going to SmackDown. I was going to SmackDown. We were talking about the storylines. We were talking about the matches and talking about our seats. And like, even still, like, he'll send me clips. We both will randomly go to the gym and, and I'll send him, you know, the best of The Rock. He'll send me the best of Triple H or he'll I'll send him John Cena returns to the Royal Rumble. Like, it's such oh a crucial. Oh my clip is so good, <laughs> dude! It's endless. Like you can go on a four, five, six-hour YouTube vortex of wrestling moments that it just like it doesn't end. Like it, it's one of a, a a girl that I know very well tweeted out last night. Like somebody had tweeted out about there was a video of Edge and a bunch of others from like two thousand four, two thousand seven. Like oh my gosh, I miss my childhood. I'm like yes, and then you want to dive in and start watching those videos. And it's, it's so funny to see the connection between the NCAA and Olympic dream with that dream. And I'm surprised that more guys haven't made that transition. Have you talked to like other NCAA guys like Shelton Benjamin and Brock Lesnar? Like, have you talked to those guys about what that transition's like? Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to um, get to go overseas with Nick Wazdowski as his training partner the last couple of years. And one of the times that we were at the Olympic Training Center getting ready with team camp, Shelton Benjamin stopped by because of Coach Russell. So okay. he ends up he sends a message out to the group chat. Hey, Shelton Benjamin stopping by for lunch if anybody wants to eat with us. He jokes and he tells people that I was at the cafeteria before he hit send. That's like the ongoing thing with Coach Russell and I. But that's the honest to God truth. I got that text and I literally ran down there and I'm like, man, everybody's going to be fighting for it, jockeying for position to talk to this dude. I get in there. Him and Coach Russell were sitting at benches and they're like by themselves. And I slide in the booth with them, ask to join and get to pick his brain and talk to him. And he ends up getting us tickets to a house show uh, for SmackDown that night in Colorado Springs. Oh, that's Big group of us go. I'm sitting next to like Hayden Zomer and Brett Farr. And I'm, you know, I'm talking crap to Carmella. She trips walking <laughs> out and I'm like, Hey, Carmella, you suck. And she's like, I'd like to see you get out here and try. And little does she All know, right. like you're going to see me. Dude, I did that with I William Regal. I was at a house show in Buffalo and it was a tag team match. William Regal was on the apron and I remember it got like dead, dead silent for a minute. And, and Regal was a huge heel at the time. And as yeah. soon as it got dead silent, I go, you suck, Regal. <laughs> he turned around, started talking crap to me. And I was just going back and forth with him. And I'm kind of intuitive. Like, I'll, I'll I'm very witty. So I, we went back and forth for like two minutes. I remember everybody within like a 15-row radius just dying laughing. I'm like, this beats being front row at Raw or SmackDown. Like, the interaction was just great. It's so cool. We were so close and like. We got to, t- I got to interact with the superstars and like, it was just so cool. But I, I did get to pick Shelton B- Benjamin's brain. I've reached out to some of the other guys. Like I said, I've had, I've had touch with Ronda Rousey through the MMA connections. Yep. And, you know, I got to talk to Randy Orton backstage that night, and oh, Jeff Hardy cool. and hang out with all those guys. Rusev, I got to meet all of them. And I'm just like, man, this is just so cool. But like, like you said, I remember watching, we went to a house show in like Wheeling, West Virginia when I was probably four or five years old. I remember wearing a Hawaiian shirt with one of those white shell necklaces and a white tee underneath it um, because I wanted to dress up like The Rock. I like I spiked my hair up a little bit and like my brothers and I all dressed up like it and we were there and um, it was just a house show. But he comes out and he touched my hand on the way out. Me and my uncle, who's who's very young, similar to my age, 
Um, he touched our hands. And we've told that story from the time we were four or five years old that we touched the Rock's hand at a house show in Wheeling, West Virginia for 20 years. That guy's impacted my life. I've met the Rock one time, again, through the MMA connection after the John Jones DC second fight. But and I didn't get the opportunity to talk to him. I wasn't in the best of moods. But like that simple interaction of him touching my hand, you getting to interact with William Regal for two minutes at a house show, and you continue yeah. to tell people that. Like, and that's that's what's so motivating about the the pro wrestling community for me is I'm gonna be that person for somebody. Some yeah. kid is gonna be able to say, I got to talk to Jacob Casper. I got to hang out with Jacob Casper. Jacob Casper was just like me, but he didn't quit. He was a fan just like me, and he got to live the dream. And I'm going to keep aspiring to do better and whatever it is. And maybe his dream is to be a WWE star, and maybe it will end. But just like me, he'll move on to what's best next, and he'll get the next best thing, and he'll be successful in some avenue of his life because of that. And, like, that's what's so motivating about WWE for me and, like, this opportunity to be a professional wrestler. And, like, it's just so cool. Like, Dude, and the I stories don't wait. end. Like, a, a buddy of mine who, who's kind of like a father figure, even he tells me a story of like 20 years ago. He was at Nitro, and it was when David Arquette was making appearances, and he was sitting next to Arquette, who at the time was going to run out, and that's when he was going to become champion and all this. And because of my buddy and his wife, they moved him to like the front row by camera side. And he, he loves that story. And it's like anybody who has a WCW, WWE, ECW, if you're a real fan, like any of these stories, anybody who has these stories, like it literally, it's been 20 plus years. And I, my entire start, like anytime anybody asks me about my career, like I started in high school building pro wrestling news websites. Like that was my passion. That's why when I started Bash Solutions in 2008, Cal Sanderson was one of my first clients. I reached out to him. I'm like, dude, Look at, I now know fully who you are and you you aren't doing yourself justice. And I wanted to help him because I was a WWE guy. So I saw the storylines and I'm like, wait a minute, you have all this and you're not doing yourself justice. Like you're not cutting a promo for yourself and you need to be. And that was like my connection. Then after Kale, I worked with Jordan Burroughs and, and Jake Varner and then David Taylor and it was a slippery slope from there, but like that passion from the WWE carried 20 years into this style of wrestling where now it's like, man, I don't know, aside from my wife and dogs, that I love anything more than wrestling. Like, <laughs> I, I have Big Tens, NCAAs, and Olympic trials booked. Like, you know, all, all these things, like, it, it, it's funny. You're, you're right. And I've, I've heard you say in interviews, like, you don't care how much people cheer or or boo for you you just want them to do as loud as possible and i've heard you say the things like you know you're doing this not just because like of course mma and pro wrestling have that elevated audience like i had bryce meredith on here and he was saying like look at one of the reasons i want to do mma is because the platform's bigger you're look at the size of the arenas you're in you know like when nick was get nick gwizdowski was on here like I'm like, dude, I'm curious how you went from dealing with the attention that NCAA championships give you to going to Belarus and being in a high school basketball gym. Like, it's wild. And, you know, Bryce had said that he wants that attention. He wants that platform. And it, it's not just vain. Like, obviously, it's easy to look at it from a vanity perspective. But if you're looking at it from, like, 
you've mentioned it time and time again, what John Cena has done with Make-A-Wish Foundation and the number of people you're able to impact. Like there is no greater blessing I have than blessing others. And especially when you say, I've been there. Hang tight. I've been on that journey. It gets better. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I've been there. I've lived in my car. I was single for 10 years when I didn't want to be. I waited till I was 30 to get married. All these things like business failures. When you can impact people, there's nothing better. And for you, like you've had those successes, but they've always been coupled with the failures and not having the level of the success. Like, yes, I was good in high school, but I wasn't what I wanted to be. Yes, I wrestled D1, but I wasn't the NCAA champion. Like you've had those stories where if you're writing the documentary, you see the writing on the wall of like, you see, like you said, like you feel like you're living a Hollywood movie. You see how it ends. Cause like yeah. you see the setup for it. So I can only imagine like, man, I don't know. I'm pumped. <laughs> it's it's so awesome though. Right. Like that's, that's honestly how I feel. Like, like I said, you know, I just feel like there's something bigger and, I feel like everybody has that, right? Yeah. Everybody's got this feeling down deep that there's more that they can do and that, you know, there's just something bigger and better and that they're going to be someone to make an impact. And in yep. some ways, everybody makes an impact. But like I said, I I don't know. Maybe the Vanilla Avenue is the most accurate way to describe me. Maybe they were right. And, you know, something that Shelton Benjamin and everybody's told me, Ronda Rousey, is they can tell when it's not authentic. Yep. And totally. the lady that I started working with for my acting classes, that's her big thing too, is you don't act something. Instead, what you do is you live truthfully, even if it's under imaginary circumstances, you yep. put yourself in the exact same place. And, uh, you know, it's acting is the reality of doing. And like, that's what I'm gearing up for with this. And, ah, oh, man, it's just so cool. Like, like, I just can't wait. They said, turn yourself to degree 10 is what yeah. they all have told me. Be real, be authentic. And the truth is, I feel like I'm everybody else. I'm a fan, just like you. I'm a fan, just like everybody else. I am from, like, you know, pretty humble beginnings. There have been, there are numerous people that have it worse than me. Sure. And I'm not going to lie about yep. that, the way that I was grow I raised. There are numerous people that had it better than me. Yeah, And I'm not going to lie about that either. But I am like, I just feel like I'm the middle of the road guy. I was blessed with, you know, a certain, um, you know, stature that I've been able to fill out through hard work. Yep. I was blessed with some intellectual ability and I'm not like, I'm keen to that. But at the end of the day, I feel like I'm everybody else. And that's where I've started to, to draw my ideas from my gimmicks from. Like, that's the beginning point of my gimmick. And like, after talking to you and seeing how passionate you are, I want to bring you in on the totally dude. I'm in man. I'm in the work, the angles and everything. And when you see these gimmick ideas, like I, I hope that you feel that they're going to go over and stuff. Like yep. you mentioned ECW and like there have been so many superstars that have had so many great entrances, right? You know, WWE, um, WrestleMania, like all these guys do special entrances, sting dropping down from the rafters, undertaker, the lights go out and he shows up and all those things were so cool. But I stand and I believe that the guy with the single greatest entrance, and like I said, was ECW. Who do you think I'm going to say? Dude, I'm so hung up as soon. Like, I think Undertaker, and I just get into like a trance for two minutes when, when I think <laughs> about, like, I, you said ECW. I'm still like Undertaker, like the gong hits, and I'm just like. Dude, the the second that gong hits, I'm like a child. I revert back 20 years 
And I can't even think now. Like use like easy like I'm blanking because I'm still thinking of like the Undertaker's entrance, the glass breaking for Austin, the Rock. Yep. If you smell what? <laughs> like, yeah. Even, like especially Dude, dropping down from the Raptors. Right. Oh my goodness. Like I was just sending. I sent a bunch of videos out. My brother, my little brother, wants to try out for the WWE. Um, and we we send each other videos all the time. And I sent him two videos today that I specifically remember. I send him a lot more financial stuff and everything else too. Yep. But the two wrestling videos I remember sending him was. The uh, Paul the Bear uh, promo with Kane in the ring and Undertaker shows up and then disappears when yeah. they were uh, feuding at the time. And like, I literally just watched that when he had the big like trench coat type thing with like the neck collar on and he was at his scariest then. And yeah. like, I remember at that house show also when Kane uh, music hit and the fire kick, my cousin started crying. He was so scared of Kane. Like <laughs> that's the reaction that Kane like solicited yeah. though. Like, that's so cool. And then the other thing I sent was a video of Brock Lesnar on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast. And he's talking about, um, you know, I am who I am. Like, when I'm out there, that's who I really am. And I don't like people. And that's why his character got over. And he's successful because he is who he is. So I feel like I've got to be myself for this angle. But sure. um, in terms of whose entrance I think was the most dope, like, of all time. And, you know, there's Edge on the return. There's John Cena's uh, Royal Rumble return, yeah. like you had previously mentioned. Triple H coming back from in injuries got to be up there. And he had Nick that Bell Are You Ready back. theme song at the time, right? When Triple H came back. Yeah. And also you yeah. heard, Are You Ready? Dun, dun. It's just dun, like, dun. what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then like, uh, I watched like John Cena when he first started embracing like the Doctor of Thugonomics today and like his, uh, the word life entrance at the time. And then yeah. like, or, or Edge's before it changed when he was with Edge and Christian, like, uh, you think you know me? Da, 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 da. Right. Like, oh man, it, it's so right. cool, but. I stand with the the belief that Sandman has the greatest entrance of all time. Yeah, and like, he's got a good one for sure. People might disagree, but like, there's that video of him going to the ring in ECW, and he can't even get there because he's starting on the second level of the arena, and he's almost crowd surfing. He's got the kendo stick, and he's got the beers, and he's partying with the dudes in ECW, and everybody is so pumped to see that dude come out like, it is just the most entertaining thing ever. And like, that's, that's where I'm drawing some of the idea of my gimmick from too. I'm yeah. hitting at it a lot. You know, if, if anybody else wants to get in on the inner circle and help us, they can, <laughs> I'll send you the ideas when we get off of the podcast and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it. But like, that's what, what I'm trying oh, to dude, And that's right what, now. like you, you've said it. Like, I, I'd love to connect the, the thought process and the perspective of, I, if you boo me, I want you to boo me as loud as you can. If you cheer for me, I want you to cheer for me as loud as you can. Because that's where the connection's made. Like, I can't tell you the number of times I'm working out and I resort to, like, a WWE entrance on repeat. Like, Bobby Roode's glorious intro. Or the, right. <laughs> or, or the, or the, the first time um, Nakamura was on SmackDown and they had the violinist out there. And he, he does this, like, performance that's just wild. And and you see the audience get into it. And I can only imagine what that feels to have that impact and have that connection where it's like, man, I mean, the, the level of, like, you can't explain it to somebody who hasn't seen it. But, like, when, like, I, I think one of the greatest in the last 10 years is when Daniel Bryan, like, really got over with the crowd. 
and you saw those yes chants and you saw like when when he won the WWE championship like I think I was crying like here I am a grown man like at the time I had to be like 27 28 years old crying because somebody won a WWE championship like that and, and to some people like I get what what the perception is but it, it, the the level these people connect with and when you look at it at a deeper level and you you forget how not I don't want to say obsessed, but like how much it reaches certain people. The impact you can have, you can do something you love. You can be want to be the best lawyer in the world or the best best vet in the world. But certain things like loving being a wrestler and what that can mean to somebody else that you can impact, it's wild. Man, it's just like it's crazy, right? Like I I couldn't agree more. So many things were going through my head as you were saying that, and it's just like. There's just so much to it. You know, my, like, like I said, with my support system and like, like my older brother, he, you know, he ended up after the WWE thing, reaching out to me, said, look, man, I've always had this dream. I've wanted to be special forces in the military. I'm going for it. I'm enlisting. Will you help me train? Will you help me get ready? I wrote him programs. And, uh, that's what I was hinting at when I said, you know, I I used him as inspiration. I am so proud of him. And that's what I was crying about during my acting, um, activity, because I'm just so proud of him right now. Like, He's turned it around. He's got a beautiful home down here in North Carolina now. He's got a serious girlfriend. He's helping raise um, uh, her kid. And, like, he's making an impact now. And, like, he's finally maximizing his potential. And he's protecting us here, like, so that we're able to do stuff like that. And, like, I'm passionate about that. And, you know, one of the things that I think is dangerous about the, the, the professional wrestling game is, like, and great, is the fans decide. The company can do whatever they want. But the fans decide they wanted Roman Reigns. They wanted him and they pushed him and they pushed him and they pushed him. And the fans didn't want him. The fans didn't want him. and They didn't care about him. And it was the opposite of Daniel Bryan. They didn't want to push Daniel Bryan. and The fans got pissed. And like it it took that dude like having a episode again of of lymphoma or whatever, you know, he had to be to finally go over like he did. And like it's unfortunate, but like. That's a little bit scary to me. And what, what worries me is like the whole, you know, you want to call it a rivalry or whatever. He beat me two matches to none. But like the whole Kyle Snyder thing is everyone supports him and no one supports me. And it it, it reminds, reminds me so much of Daniel Cormier and John Jones, which is on a higher scale, obviously. Yep. But you have John Jones. You have Kyle Snyder. And these people put these guys on pedestals and they look up to them because they're everything they're not. John Jones is six foot four. He's got 84 inch reach. He's got two brothers that play in the NFL. He's got an amazing fight IQ. He's a great athlete and he's like a LeBron, right? Like not everybody can be a LeBron. So it's easy to say like, oh, he's a freak. That's why he's so good. Kyle Snyder gave up one high school takedown. He's been this good since forever. Like that's how it is. And these, these people, more people are drawn to that and connect to that. But I'm the everyday guy. I'm the Daniel Cormier who's five foot ten, five foot eleven. He might say he's five foot eleven. He's probably closer to five foot ten, knowing <laughs> it. You know, kind of built with the dad bodies, the dad bod god. Yeah. You know, looks like everybody else. When you're at the store, if you didn't know who he was, you wouldn't pick him out as a bad dude. Yeah. And instead he works hard and he earns it day after day. He's 40 years old and he's got a relentless work ethic. And yeah. people don't like that. Not because they don't like Daniel Cormier but because they don't like themselves. They are mad when they see Daniel Cormier 
and see that he is everything that they could be and that they weren't willing to dedicate their lives to. Sure. They hate themselves when they look in the mirror, so they hate people like Daniel Cormier. They hated people, you know, like me when it was like the situation with Kyle Snyder. And I understand that, but I'm not going to be able to change who I am. And like, I still think my gimmick is going to stay the same because of that. And like, it's going to be just super interesting to see what ends up coming of this because like I have my gimmick in mind right now and I hope it goes over, but if it doesn't, it's going to be the same thing. You know, I'm the fan that's living out his dream and you can boo me if you want. But guess what? You go to your job and you work nine to five and you slave for that money to pay to watch me on WWE Network, to pay yeah. for the cable, to watch me on TV or to sit at my show. So if you want to boo me, you better boo me loud. Dude, if you're you setting up this- to be a good heel. I mean, that's a good <laughs> promo, dude. Honestly, I think I'm more of a face. I think I'm going to be more of a face. I hope. But like at the end of the day, if you see yourself in me, then cheer yeah. for me because I- I'm not the people's champ. Yeah. I'm not going to be this guy. Um, you know, that's everything that people can't be. Instead, I am the people. I am just like every single one of the fans in the WWE universe. Yep. I am everybody else. And I will interact with them. I will talk pro wrestling with them. I will geek out with them just like I do with amateur wrestling. You know, yep. I think one of the reasons I've had success on some of the bigger scales is at big tournaments, I quit worrying about myself competing because, oh my goodness, Nathan Tomasello and Nation Garrett are wrestling this round. And I start geeking out over that. Right. And then I just get to go out and do what I do. And like, I think that's led me to success. And I'm going to keep that going, I think, into, into pro wrestling. And I'm going to be everybody that you see in the stands. And like, my long-term goal is like, I'm just going to go out and give the gimmick of my idea right now. We'll see what people think of it, I guess. <laughs> I want to wear blue jeans, yeah. work boots, a Team Casper shirt, and a hat similar to this. Shout out to Abate, Abate Farms. My buddy Joey Abate, his parents own farms in Stockton, California. So if I was doing a show in Stockton, California, I'd put on a Stockton, California local business. I would go to the show. I would buy a ticket out of my own pocket, and I would sit in the stands. And then when my music hits, I would walk out of the stands. I would walk down to the ring, and I would compete because I'm just a fan getting to live out my dream. I like that. And I wear a Carhartt you know, jacket. I wear overalls. I wear blue jeans. I'm a blue-collar dude. That's who I am, and I'm going to look like everybody else. And I hope long-term what would happen is more and more people start catching on, similar to John Cena in the Ruthless era when they were wearing the jerseys and everything, and I want everybody to dress that way. Yeah. And then it's going to be like, where's Jacob Casper, Eminem at the Grammys the one year when everybody dressed like him and he had all those performers yep. on stage? Who is the real Slim Shady? Like, Didn't John Cena real- do that? At WrestleMania, yeah. he had the entrance where there was like a hundred John Cena imposters yep. down the, the ramp. Yeah, <laughs> and like, where, where, who's the real Jacob Casper? And the truth is, everybody is Jacob Casper. Everybody is that fan that aspires to do a little bit more in their life and to want to be that guy. And I'm just fortunate enough to be able to be the one representing it on the platform. But like, that's that's the gimmick idea as of right now. And then you know, you can work the angle of the heel turn and like. Oh, I'm the dude guy, and like yeah. I'm smarter than you, and everything else later on down the down the line. But document it now, like that's what I'm thinking right now. My gimmick's gonna be, and that's what I'm hoping for. So, yeah, I love it, man. I, I can see it, and like you said, like it doesn't really matter if you're a healer or face. The, the crowd, as long as like I, you know, you kind of see it with Kurt Angle's return, where it's like he gets excited for people chanting you suck and they they're showing him respect like he's coming out you suck like he's getting into it because he knows like 
it doesn't matter if if they're booing or cheering. Like I I think there was an interview I heard with John Cena talking about that. Like, listen, I don't care if they boo or cheer. If they're getting a reaction, they're emotionally invested. Whether they're booing or cheering doesn't matter. Either way, if you're emotionally invested to cheer or to boo, so. Yeah, I think it's cool. Listen, man, I'm going to let you go because I know it's been like almost All two right. hours now. and I, I, I want to save some for part two, which I, I am. Let's do it. Let's I, run it back. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to have to do it a couple of times. So listen, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope everybody listening enjoyed this this episode. Be sure to follow Jacob. I'm going to I'm going to link up all of his channels below all of his accounts. so You can follow the journey and I will see you soon, man. Appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for having me on. And, you know, Everybody out there, get out there, support. Like I said, cheer or boo or whatever you want to do. Uh, but be out there, make some noise. You know, similar to the amateur wrestling community, we always tell people the NCAA tournament is a great show and worth watching. You know, get out there and get to a WWE show, and I think your perception will change a lot. You know, 100%. invest the money in a, a you know a uh, you know a WWE network account and start watching and start supporting. Like I'm really trying to make some big waves on this, and I'd appreciate the support or hatred, whichever way you view me. I don't really care. <laughs> For sure. I, I think people are going to love you, especially initially. You might you might make that heel turn, but they're going to love you initially. So <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. Thank you so much. All right, man. We'll talk soon. And that is it. The longest episode yet of Bashmania is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to like and subscribe the podcast if you enjoyed this episode. And if you are a warrior and you listen to this entire episode, send me a message. I'm going to send one of you a free Bashmania t-shirt because I, and I know Casper, appreciate your time that you give us. So send me a message. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And I'm going to send one of you a free t-shirt. See ya. And the beat goes on.